It's Jim Mallard here. Welcome to the Mallard Report. The Mallard Report is recorded in front of a live virtual audience on the Duck Pond. Tuesday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern, live. Mallard.com. M-A-L-L-I-A-R-D.com. One more thing before we start. Let me turn it over to my friend that you may know from Ancient Aliens and the Curse of Oak Island and many other things. Robert Clotworthy. On the Malliard Report, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed on the show are solely those of the hosts and guests, and not necessarily of Evergreen Podcasts, KillerPodcast.com, sponsor or affiliate, or any other individual or group. On the Malliard Report, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the show are solely those of the hosts and guests, and not necessarily of Evergreen Podcasts, KillerPodcast.com, sponsor or affiliate, or any other individual or group. I want to welcome everybody in this evening. Of course, I'm saying this evening this is being recorded early, but this is first run. You haven't heard this before. When you hear my guests, you'll understand why the uh, why the change in venue for us. Uh, Chris Sherlock, how are you doing, Chris? I'm good, thanks, Jim. How are you? I'm pretty good. If I, I guess if you haven't picked that up, that is a little bit of Irish there. I think it is. Yes, <laughs> it's, it's full blown Irish West Coast of Ireland Galway accents coming at you. Uh, Chris, I, I, I failed you deeply because I wrote down volume four. I know you're the author, and I didn't write down the rest of the title of that book. What is the rest of the title of that book? <laughs> well, at least you got the volume right. Yeah, so it's Mental Health Millennials, volume four. Yeah, I, I, for some reason I thought, I will, I'll remember the rest of that. I'll just write down the volume number, and that'll be enough. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, all right. Don't worry about it. I sometimes forget myself that I'm even a part of it, so don't worry about it. So give me the uh, the synopsis of that, and then we'll get back into your story. Yeah, so the Mental Health Millennials book series is a book series of seven books, and there's various chapters throughout the whole books, and each volume it has its own uh, individual topics that would cover anxiety, death, grief, sex, um, everything and anything. Uh, there's suicide stories, there's... Uh, depression in there there's loads of angles and each story is different and and how people have coped with it because it's through the eyes of some medical health professionals some common joes like yourself and myself and uh it, it it just goes to show you that everyone has a story and in that story we have all brushed with mental health uh over over the years or it might be just recently or you mightn't have come across it yet in your life but who knows where it might creep up on you but these are perspectives and research uh documents that we put into this series and it's all basically in the series for people to go and read if you have any interest in mental health i think if if it doesn't cross your bridge so to speak it crosses somebody who's in your circles bridge and all of that stuff yeah oh for sure yeah and i think some people don't even take the time to notice some of the things that are going on with people around them which is hopefully we can enlighten people and get people to at least start 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 thinking about other people for a change but well we'll see if that works out or not but <laughs> Yeah, well, there's that. But like, I always say, kindness is key. And like, if you can pick up the phone and chat to a neighbor, you know, or now I know some parts um, in the states, <laughs> your your neighbor could be seven or eight blocks away, or you know, for whatever reason, and you have to drive ten minutes to get there. In Ireland, we're such a small country, and it's, uh, we have small towns, so. Sometimes there's rural areas which which some people would relate to, but then there's when you're in the city, your neighbor is literally ten feet next to you. <laughs> you know, it's 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 quite quite close. So I just like, but I like that vibe of a close knit community. And like, if you're looking out for each other, it is the key thing. Now, having said that, that can also get on your nerves because Mary next door is going to know what you're having for dinner, and she'll also know what time you're going to basically dispose of it in the lavatory. At the, you know, it, <laughs> it, it, it everything goes in that line you know what i mean <laughs> yeah but okay so how did you come to be in in there i mean you okay. yeah give me the how we got from point a to point b and how we got the backstory let's get i mean the the story let's get to how we got there yeah so um the mental health millennials book series um it started off back in 2017 and i work in radio here in galway and the publisher and a series of authors were just coming in and we would have I would do interviews with them and it was around World Mental Health Day of 2019 myself and a few people from the book so there was Niall McElwee there was Phil Noon 
and uh, Re- Rebecca Housel, who was a good friend of your show and a friend of ours mutually, uh, she, she's involved in the books as well in the early stages. And she, you know, we would all get together and we would put together this mental health special. And it was designed for my show for World Mental Health Day. And uh, long story short, um, after that show had aired, we had talked about bullying, anxiety, depression. We've covered as much as we could. Like your own show, we only had 60 minutes to do 60 minutes to do so. So <laughs> you can get through a lot in 60 minutes, but when you have four or five different versions, uh, yeah. <laughs> time goes very quick. So um, we tried to get through as much as we could and highlight mental health in general and also just highlight the books are there for people to, to go and read. And I talked about a little bit of my story very briefly in the terms that I was bullied when I was a young teen. So it was the transition from primary level education to secondary level education over here. And I was only in school for the period of three weeks and I was bullied. So I had said all this on the show and it, and uh, I we were talking about anxiety as well. So I was talking so, about some of the after effects that being bullied has and kind of the depression that it led to and even kind of eating disorders kind of went with the depression as well. So there's a few things, but we literally just grasped over everything, you know, just for a couple of seconds on each thing. And that was that. So I had a meeting with the Book Hub Publishing Group who are in charge of the whole series and said, you know, we, we would like to talk to you further. And it's just a general chat. And they asked me, because I've been promoting the first three books, how would you feel about being a guest in volume four as a contributing author and talk about your bullying story because we think you have a great story and the fact that you're open and honest about it, it will be relatable to others. So I said, okay, let me think about it because I could just about write my name, never mind <laughs> the book chapter to tell you the truth. Like, And I thought, okay, this is going to be a scary experience because I have to go back in time in my brain and dig out all these kind of like scenarios that had happened and I'm trying to forget about them you know they're ancient history in my book but um, he, he said like do what you're comfortable with and you know they, they kept in touch with me with the whole process and um, we eventually agreed after I disagreed at many a time saying I'm not going to bother being in the book thanks for offering <laughs> but lo and behold I did eventually go in it long story short so yeah, so that's kind of how it happened, and we got there, and it, it, it's out there for all to read now, thankfully, and the story has helped uh, many people since its release uh, last year in 2021, so I, it was supposed to be 2020, but the pandemic obviously put a bit of a dampener on the release, and things were backlogged, of course. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I, I was familiar with the work that she was, where Rebecca Hells was doing with some of that stuff, and then you... She recommended me, well, connected us together, and I'm excited because it's always good to have somebody who, you know, has somebody vouching for them. And but, so what? Yeah. What's so what finally got you over the hump there? Because you obviously I'm the same way. I'm not a, a writer by any stretch of the imagination. So how did that all? How did you come to the grips with putting it all on pen to paper? I guess. Well, to be honest with you, it, it's like everybody has a man shed and in this mansion or a man drawer and you go in this man drawer and it's full of everything there's from there's wires there's you know pencil sharpeners there's everything and anything and then there's boxes like think of it as an imaginary uh man shed where it's absolutely full to the brim door slammed shut and it's literally falling off the hinges because it's bursting with all this stuff and that's what this period of my life felt like it was just a load of crap thrown in one area and I had to try and dig through it and relive some of the moments and I was very very afraid of what was going to come out of this and literally you know stamp on me so I I went back and I I recoiled some moments and some stuff instantly came to mind because some of the stuff never leaves you of course so I wanted to go back and try and like get um, you know scenarios from people that I was around to like put back the timeline in place because I just couldn't just start saying right back in 
you know, it, it, this happened in 2004, so I had to go back and I had to try and li- relive. And I didn't want to be putting day, dates or stamps on it because that's not important. What the important part is, is like when it happened, how it happened and how I got through it. So I wanted to try and make sure that every avenue wasn't... Um, Left, be, you know, every avenue was explored, and I wasn't left behind, leaving nothing behind, because I wanted to make it informal to as many people as possible. Because these are people I'm going to be talking to that are either going to bullying currently, or have been a victim of it, or could be a victim in the future. So I'm trying to give every angle of how it started and and how it went, and then how it's now going from the past. So. It's it's all those things coming together, and I was trying to get this out on paper, and I had no clue how to do it. So I literally just went back and and researched and and went through memories and wrote down what I could. And to be honest with you, Jim, <laughs> I was laughing at myself. Notes everywhere, <laughs> and it was like one of these uh, parents that has twenty odd kids. Fair play to you if you do, because oh, wow, you know it's <laughs> yeah, and uh, so like it's like like trying to like circulate homework on a Tuesday, you know, dance class on on a Tuesday evening. It was, it was trying to get all this and put it down. And at the end, the the publisher said, "Look, it can only be five thousand words." And in a way, I was kind of relieved, but I was also breaking it because <laughs> I was like, "How am I going to get this into five thousand words? Will I have enough? Will I come in under?" And then I was trying to make sure I was getting everything that was important in. So eventually, I got it all together. And it went through a series of edits, and I had some great help from Rebecca Housel, as you, as people may know from listening to your show. She is a uh, a writer, and she is, you know, one of the best-selling authors out there. So I just I said, Rebecca, help me, please. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she just started laughing at me. She said, "Look, don't panic." She says, "Just write what you what you can, put everything out." And they, she looked it over. The the group publishing group here looked it over and it was done uh, you know it was only a couple of weeks afterwards the stage and it got done and that was it it was literally a couple of months later and it went to print and then I was just like I was happy that it was all done and that it was something that I had accomplished because I've never been an author before I never I never done anything like this so the whole process was was new but I really really enjoyed it but as I was kind of getting everything together it started off a bit stressful, but it ended up being therapeutic because I it was kind of my last straw of letting go of it all. And even talking about, uh, I presume I'm going to be talking a bit about the story shortly, but even talking about in the media about what, what's happened, it, it, it doesn't affect me. Now, some people might think, Jesus, you must be a robot. And I've often thought that myself, the fact that, you know, reliving these memories on a regular basis could probably be traumatic but it's actually therapeutic because it's like you've been there done that and basically bought the t-shirt so it's in the past it can no longer harm you firstly and secondly I've kind of gotten over it now and I'm my own person you know those bullies would never define me anymore so I'm my own man now. I'm responsible for my own actions, you know, and I do what I I, I gotta do. And I I work in a great area where I want to work now, and all this kind of stuff. So, it's it's been a great um, release uh, to be a, a shorter way of putting it. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, we are gonna get there, but I, I was just kind of working our way, you know. Yeah. Okay, so when when you got it in print, though, how did, I'm I'm getting goosebumps for you because I'm sure there was that that moment of oh look, it really did happen. Yeah, when I got it, when I when I got it in print, I went, "Oh shit!" <laughs> because everyone's going to be able to read the story, like, and I put in as much as I could within the within what I could put in the chapter, like, and it was just, I'm like, you know, this is where I can be even more judged, you know, the the old thoughts started setting in, you know, from the anxiety point, but I literally just breathe. I just took a deep breath and I I breathed for a few minutes and I just went right this is it this is going to help people and that was it. It, it but it was great to see the printed version because we got digital versions first and I saw that but it still didn't make sense until I hit, held the physical copy in my hand and I saw my name on the cover and I went wow this <laughs> this 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 is so surreal and uh, I I just remember like getting this book and it was like 
alien to me because I never experienced anything like it before. And I, 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 it just looked, it felt like I was picking up something slimy from Predator, from Alien vs. Predator. And I was looking at this in my eyes and I was like, what the hell am I after doing? And what is this? <laughs> but it, it's been such a great response to it. Um, over here in Ireland and the UK, people have reached out that have went and got copies. And it's just phenomenal, the reaction. I never thought I'd get the reaction that I did. And it's just, I'm glad the story is out there. And hopefully someone that reads the story can really take something from it or hears me talking about it or, you know, blabbing on about it at this point. <laughs> no, you're not blabbing on about it. It's an important story to tell. I think at some level we've all been kind of in those shoes where something, especially in high school, kind of went awry. But go ahead and take us back to those days because maybe not as severe as what you went through. Yeah, so now you'll have to forgive the the term, the, the, the way I describe this because over here in Ireland, our primary and secondary level schools are slightly different to the way things are done in the States. But I do know... Uh, you might need to help me out here, Jim. Someone that is 12, 13, what, would they be in high school or would they be still in a, like an early stage of school? Or Well, what, here's the fun thing. That changes around the states too. We we refer to that in my local area as middle school, but sometimes the gap is different. So it's not necessarily even a good American thing because, like I said, it changes from place to place around here. So. But continue. No. <laughs> right. Okay. No, that's fine. I just want. I just want to try and get it right. So basically, I was. So for, so for people that's listening, I was. T- I was literally twelve, going on thirteen. I had just started middle school, secondary school, high school here, uh, in the variations of that. And it was my very first year starting this brand new school. So it was brand new building, brand new teachers. Everything was like. Well, it was it was the opposite of being a kid in a candy store because you're going in to be educated. So no one really likes to be going into school at at, at early in the morning and suffering teachers day in and day out. But we got to do it. So, um, yeah, I started there. I was getting grips to everything and I was finding my feet. So I was trying to make new friends. I was trying to be impressionable. Same. I was a shy kid as well. So, you know, I was I was trying to find my feet, but I was also trying to over kindness and, and, and just blossom in any way I could. So I was in school the first week and I was, you know, starting to kind of find my my bearings, let's say. And the first week was just starting off in, in complete turmoil, sadly, because it was it was name calling that first kicked it all off, the, the series of abuse. Uh, so I would be called all sorts of things like faggot, butt teeth, queer, um, gobshite, uh, variations of stuff and uh, they'd call me <clears throat> excuse me they'll call me loner all this kind of stuff whatever they could throw at me they would throw at me you know billy no mates and and it wasn't the fact that you know i wasn't trying to make friends or blend in it was just it was literally week one do you know what i mean so you're like you have no you're not going to just make friends like that you know you might meet someone straight away and click with but it's never the case you know it was just finding my feet so there was there was all that going on, and I was keeping that in mind, and I was trying to get used to the subjects as well, because there were there were kind of new there was there were subjects that we would have had in primary level, but we were piled on more advanced as well. So I was trying to literally get used to all this. So that was kind of week one. Week two started off very much the same, but in week two, I w- I was actually on the phone to my mother, and I was letting her know about a new subject I was doing. And it was basically talking about what I needed to do. And as I was explaining all this, these two lads that were a part of the name calling came up behind me. And they literally took the phone out of my hand. Bear in mind, this was during a lunch break, so I was perfectly entitled to be doing what I was doing. And they took the phone off me, flung it across the area to where I was. And they just pinned me up the wall and they started choking me out of nowhere. So there was a hand around my throat, right around it, and I was so stunned at what was happening. I I didn't realise, you know, where I was quite literally, but I just remember them like saying stuff to my face, spitting at me, and they they basically just say, you know, who are you on the phone to, and whatever it was, and I'm there like, like paralysed with fear, and then I'm trying to also get out of the situation by trying to squirm and push them off, but when there's two guys there. And they were ahead of my year, so 
they were already established in the school. So I now I didn't I didn't know they were at the time, but I did find out afterwards that they had been about two or three years ahead of me. And it was quite common that they would pick on first year students that would start. Lord knows why this happens, but it does. And I just remember pushing them off eventually, went and got my got my phone and I went to the nearest, quietest place I could possibly get because I was conscious that my mother was still on the line. It was a live call, but the the battery had come out of the phone and I, the, the connection was lost. And I, in one way, I was thankful because I didn't want them to know what was going on at home. And I didn't know that this was going to happen again. I, you know, I just thought it might have stopped because I didn't aggravate the situation. I didn't say anything to provoke them. They just happened to come out of nowhere. So eventually I phoned my mother and rang her back and she was curious to know what was happening. And she just was in complete kind of okay um, when I had basically said that I just dropped the phone and I had to get to somewhere quieter because there was loads of people kind of shouting and roaring. So she kind of thought nothing of it there and then. And then we just continued the conversation as if nothing happened. And that's the way I wanted it to go. And thankfully it did at that stage. And that was basically the first few scenarios that was that was starting it all off. Well, I, I've got a, a sounds like a dumb question, but I'm going to ask it anyways. You had that happen, we'll say on a Tuesday. How did you get up and go to school on a Wednesday, knowing that that was very likely going to happen again? Well, the the thing was is when I was when I was going home that day, I had like knots in my stomach because a part of me was telling me, "Tell your mum what's happening," you know, "Tell somebody." But I was like, no, in my, I was literally arguing with myself because I, I was a went and told somebody I would be the the rat, as they call it, you know, in in brackets where you're the subject of telling on me, so I'm going to pick on you further. So I just thought if I say nothing, it'll eventually go away. They'll get bored and move on. So I was kind of battling with those thoughts. And then I was like, how am I going to go to school tomorrow in case they think I've actually told somebody, even though I haven't? So there was that scenario as well. So I was kind of okay the next day, but it was as I kept seeing them daily and the name calling still went, I, I was getting more anxious and anxious going to school where I was getting myself sick and I was pretending to be sick. So I had a few days off school following a, a day or two after that. And I went back into school, which would have been the third week. And when I was in the school, I just remember thinking, right, okay, they know now I haven't said anything, so I should be okay. I've had a few days off. It might have brushed by. Um, So the whole school day, let's just say it was a Monday, the whole school day was going okay from what I can remember. I remember being at my lunch break and the bell had rang to go back into class. I was making my way to class. And in this building, it's an old school building. It's kind of like a, it's like a medieval uh, church building. Let's say it's kind of it, there's a lot of architecture around Ireland like this. For those of people that might not know, so it was like this. So the reason why I explain this to you is because on every stories in this building, and as you go up each floor there's a set of double doors that would bring you down to a hallway and there'd be classes on your left and right as you go down and it was not uncommon where students would be loitering around you know just hanging out chatting until their next class or whatever and I remember going to my class just after the bell had rang and I was pretty anxious because I was still new to the school and still trying to get to these classes and as I was getting there I had met a group of these guys that were name calling me and that were a part of the the choking scenario and they were there uh, in front of these double doors and every time I went to pass through them they kept pushing the door or pushing me away saying you can't you know pass these doors still calling me a gobshite fagger a loner whatever they could throw at me there and then and I just remember literally kind of grabbing the handle with a bit more force to try and you know push them out of their way to, to show a little bit of force but they just basically both intervened pushed me against the wall one of them had pulled my top over my head and they pushed me down the stairs that I had just come up which happened to be hardcore floor and stairs or hardcore floor and sorry stairs and I remember just looking up at these guys after I had landed down and I was in complete fear 
I was in shock. I started hysterically crying. I saw them laughing at me and just shouting down at me. And I remember looking at my my elbow to my wrist and it was pumping with blood. And I had to gash on my eye as well. And I, I believe there was a little bit of blood coming out of that. Um, but my my elbow to my wrist was a was the concern that I had kind of seen, so I rushed straight to the nurse's office. And luckily, when well, it was actually the school office, so it was kind of a a principal's office slash nurse's office. And when I got there, luckily the nurse was there, and she said, "Wow, what happened to you?" So she was trying to calm me down and get me bandaged up, and I just basically locked up myself tight and said nothing. And when I eventually started talking, I just said I fell down the stairs. I lost my balance because I didn't want to report it in case that, you know, this was going to happen again. Because I was quite sure it was going to happen again if I did. And even without it, me being the rat, that was going to be the case. So I I, I was left in the office for a, a while. My parents were called. So I got sent home that day. And they gave me another few days off to recover. And uh, I just, I was losing it each night. I wasn't sleeping. I was twisting and turning. Not just because I was sore. I had bruised ribs. My sides were were, were bruised. My legs were bruised. And I just thought, I, I can't go back here. I can't go back to school. I can't go back and face these guys again. And I had no... I had no real friends that I could say, look, this is something that was happening and even if I did have friends that I could talk to I probably wouldn't have still said nothing because I wouldn't want to have been you know this guy that's not able to look after himself you know you're you're trying to be the man you're trying to like impress others and and show off to your degree and I didn't know this at the time of course but this is what these guys were doing they were showing off they were picking on me to be impressing others now it was an all boys school at the time as well. So uh, now I've come to learn that the school is now mixed, but it was lads always impressing lads. You know, they were known for big sport achievements and all this kind of stuff. And this was also going around in my head, like how am I going to compete with these guys? You know, like I, I don't play sports. I like basketball, but I don't want to play it professionally. And all this was, you know, this, this is what was going through my head. And I was literally worrying about, months and years ahead and considering I, I, I was living in I should have been living in the moment and not worrying about all this kind of stuff but the nurse in the office had said to me on the day that I was pushed down the stairs you know you were very very lucky that it wasn't worse you could have been killed if you hit your head bad and I was kind of thinking well she's right so like why should I go back and be a subject to their entertainment so eventually after the few days off I went back you know, to normal, getting ready, going to school. My mother decided to accompany me on one of these days because she was fun. She was worried about my newfound clumsiness that was going on. So I think they kind of knew something was wrong, but they just didn't know what was what. But they, they knew I was a nervous kid and I was shy, so they probably just thought that I was just being nervous. But eventually I got to the school gates on this particular morning and I'm not kidding you, Jim. I absolutely roared crying. I went in complete shock. I felt like the blood had been drained out of me when I got to these gates. And I remember looking at my mother and trying to explain what had already been happening the past three weeks. And she just looked at me in complete shock and and worry what was happening. But I was essentially having a panic attack right in front of her and I didn't know what was happening. I just knew I was crying and I just was trying to communicate the best I could. So she phoned my father and I went back home. I calmed down and I literally had to spend that day slowly telling them what had been happening. And at, from there, then action was taken to talk to the school firstly to try and pinpoint who these guys were because I didn't know names I just knew them by description and I, I, I eventually told and said all and what was a big worry at the time was my father and my mother were in a meeting and the principal had turned around to us and said well he should man up that this is the consequences of a first year student you know and and my my dad looked at the principal and he literally went are you kidding me like this is supposed to be a school 
where you educate kids not put them through torture and you're saying that this is perfectly okay and my dad wanted to basically <laughs> kill him stone dead there and then as you can imagine with rage but we, we left the meeting all of us very angry and from that day I just said look I can't go back to that school I'm not able to go back and I never went back to that school or any secondary school I, I never went back and completed my education because in those school years I should have been completing exams we call them the first level of exams or it's called the junior cert and then two years after that you do a leave insert and you get part of a point system and that point system can help you go to college and so forth and I was neglected all of that I was given tuition you know a couple of months later to kind of recover where I'd left off with my education and they were trying to prep me to get at least my junior cert and see if I got my junior cert I could go on and get the points some other ways and just basically kind of do the longer way around it and get some sort of an education, a secondary level education. So I was given that, but government cuts, long story short, got rid of all that, and we couldn't afford it privately. So it was just the case that I was left to my own devices then after that to do my own thing. So that's obviously traumatic, being left to your own devices, but obviously you bounced back up and got yourself a, a job where you get to talk and you got to talk to me. But how did, how did that process go from leaving the school that day to fumbling around in your education to where you are today? Well, at that time, I would have been 14 and the the, the tuition only ha happened for not even a year. So I, I was still kind of struggling with everyday life in terms of, you know, mathematics, uh, English I was fairly good at. You know, they teach Irish here. I can just about speak English, never mind speak my native language. And it's not a thing that you would have had to do here anyway. But then there was the other stuff, you know, learning history, learning, you know, like um, sex education. All this kind of stuff was a thing that I was first neglected of because I was just left there. So... I had to literally learn all this stuff myself. I had to, you know, talk to people. I would I would pick up the books that I had and just read and do things and educate myself every way possible. And at the time, I had a computer and I would look up stuff on, on the internet. Google was a great educator, even though they say not to do it. Um, <laughs> you know, you know, it can, be, it can be great in one avenue, but bad in another. But I, I was just literally looking up things that would interest me. So... Eventually, it led to looking up things about photography, um, like historical landmarks would be a thing, um, you know, all these things. And I eventually started looking up radio, television, um, just how things worked. I was just very, you know, I was very kind of alert to how things worked and I wanted to know everything you know, that I could possibly do and, and find out. And, I, you know, I'd study geography as well. I'd study this and things. I'd look at pictures of places. Literally had to do what I could. And I'm not just, I'm not saying that that's the best way to go because, Jesus, it isn't. It's far fucking from it, to be honest with you. But it's, it's what I did to kind of keep me sane and how I survived. And as all this progressed, I was still living... In my house, I was still kind of sheltered from people because I couldn't be around people. So this this was the big thing. This is the thing I struggled with mostly. And it was because I had been a subject of abuse, a victim of abuse. Um, I had to kind of go and learn to be with people again. I had to like make friends again, even though I had my local, say, neighborhood friends and people I would have known prior to going into secondary secondary school so I did have a few people around me that I could go out and mix with so I wasn't isolated but I just kept thinking I need to I need to be out there I need to be making friends so it took a while this was this all started when I was 14 as I said so it was when I was 16 I was referred to a youth service here in Galway called um Galway Partnership and they work with all types of youths from people with troubled backgrounds themselves to people like me that were a victim of bullying you know that they welcome everyone and anyone they can possibly get and they help them in any way shape or form so they would help them you know get work experience or do cvs or resumes as you would call them over there maybe but uh, they'd, they'd put you in to 
areas and they'd help you. That was their goal. So thankfully I found this service through my GP and I had a series of counselling to try and, you know, let go of all this uh, because I had contemplated suicide because it, I had this moment of madness where it all this pressure got to me uh, and I just couldn't think forward at one point and I was always encouraged to go for walks and thankfully Galway like I said earlier it's a small town and this small town you can go into you can go into your city centre in 15 minutes by walking that's how close I am so it's it, it it's great in one way but as you get into town there is you know there's there's the river Corrib and I I pass this on a daily basis when I go walking and I knew I couldn't swim and I thought well if I end my life here and now I won't be a burden to anybody I don't, I didn't want the, the pressures of my parents thinking that I was a failure I didn't want them to be upset with me that I wasn't progressing in life I didn't want I didn't want these bullies that were you know targeting me I didn't want them to acknowledge me anymore I just wanted to be that distant memory and I thought, if I'm gone, it'll make everyone's life easier. I won't have to worry about myself even. I won't have to worry about an education going forward. You know, that was my trail of thought. It was so dark. And I apologize to your listeners how dark that, that this might seem. But this was living in my head. And I remember jumping up onto the barriers. They're, they're kind of like metal barriers. They're round metal barriers as you go up. And you can climb up them and jump in if you want. <laughs> it, it, you know, it was... It was there for a scenic view, but it was also there for a damaging view uh, when you think about it. And I remember looking over, thinking, just do it, just do it, get it over with. And out of nowhere, I heard this whistle and I knew who it was instantly by the whistle. And it was a, a friend and another friend that lived in my estate here, my in my neighbourhood. And they they saw me just there and they never asked any questions, which to this day I thought was a little bit weird. But because everyone has that, you know, you know, overactive mind and like, why is he doing this? What, you know, why, what's he doing there? You know, and they didn't. They just simply said, you know, what have you been up to? You know, are you going somewhere into town or whatever? And I said, no, I said, I'm just literally out walking. And they said, we're going back to our house playing video games. Do you want to come? And literally by the flick of a switch that was it I was distracted and that act of kindness brought me back to the moment where I should have been in enjoying my walk enjoying you know where I am and they brought me back to their their house and I spent a couple of hours playing video games that day and I, n I never looked back at that moment to think you know what could have happened or what should have happened or or anything like that I just know that that's where I was and that's what it was so it, it took it took a while after that to, to you know get back on my stride but once I did I I was going to these meetings with the advocacy service I was trying out things that they would recommend not everything worked of course but we eventually got there and I done photography in local community centres here so I would do what I had my interests in and I started trusting people then because there was moments where I'd be in a room and I'd look around in the room and I'd instantly look for the exits. I or, uh, My stomach would be in knots. All this was a factor. I Sometimes I would even shake that if I knew the venue was going to have big capacity where I, what I was doing, I thought, you know, the bigger the crowds, the more worried I was because the more people that could basically start kicking me to death if they wanted or name calling me it was just that fear was in the back of my mind that someone was going to pick on me um but i eventually got over all that and today i as of today i now broadcast in in local radio hopefully national radio in the not too distant future likewise with television but true it was literally through an advert that i had saw in the local college that the, a radio station was looking for volunteers to do radio whether it be a producer whether it be a presenter and, and and every avenue that they look for whether you're a part of the news team the research team whatever you wanted you put your name down and if they had a spot you would get it and they would they would train you in it more importantly and from then that was but that that literally had started 2013 2014 and 
I, I am here today as a broadcaster and that's that's kind of the story in a nutshell. <laughs> what seemed long's winded now. I no, no, you're fine. I told you that we were just going to go and let you go yeah. and tell it all. And that's what I wanted you to do because it's important for you to get that all out there because that's your yeah. story. And uh, I appreciate you telling us that. And uh, so now that, now that you've had it out there for a while and, you, you know, you say you hope that you're impacting people. I'm sure you are. Have, have you had one of those moments yet where somebody's come to you or sent you an email or whatever? of acknowledging and grateful for what you said or put out there yeah to be honest Jim I've had people come up to me in supermarkets so a lot like I said kind of Ireland is is it's a big country but it's small enough uh, especially in Galway and <laughs> I've had local postmen come up to me and say I saw you in the local paper and your story is is one tragic but it's phenomenal the way you spun it and the way you're now able to be the outgoing person because like I, I had first told Rebecca this and Rebecca knew me instantly as you know the radio presenter that likes to have a laugh you know I'm cheeky I'm quirky I'm outrageous you know all in the clean form of fun and that's all I live for I love comedy I, I love I just love the crack and now I don't mean smoke and crack I just mean the overall enjoyment of fun and uh, I, I'm just like I, I just live for that like it's all fun and games with me I, I have a serious side and, I, and I'm I'm there for anyone that needs me but that's me down to a T and Rebecca knew that from the instant we met because we had we, we were talking about the book series when she had come into the studio and because Rebecca has worked in the, um, the entertainment industry through comedy and comic cons and stuff we instantly had that topic of connection where you know oh I watched this show and this this was fabulous fantastic you know and we chatted not only on the show for ages but even afterwards in the studio like they have signs in the radio studio telling me to shut the fuck up quite literally <laughs> even though they can't tell me it on air they literally hold up idiot board signs for me saying you need to you know like shut up and move on because I, t- I, I talk for Ireland as you can imagine in here but like it was just when these people started coming up to me in the supermarkets and on the street I just thought wow I didn't think that it was going to be taken you know taken personally to people or I didn't know that they were going to acknowledge it as much as they did but it was very relatable I've had people telling me stories that when they were bullied some of them even more worse than I and I just couldn't possibly put myself in the situation, even though I was in the situation similar. But they got a much worse. You know, those people's people told me stories about their 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 lives as when they were younger, and they their heads were pushed down toilets after being freshly used as well. And this is all what goes on, and it's it shouldn't go on. You know, like I said, kindness is key here. But all these stories that I heard and how people have coped with it themselves some of them being an older generation where they'd have the the courage to fight back almost instantly was a was a a thing that I couldn't grasp because like, again I was shy and I was kind of like worried for myself but the courage that they had to you know act on it there and then and not let them be walked on to a degree everyone has their own avenues and their, and you know they they look different or be different and that's all well and good and everyone has their own way of coping with things of course as well as dealing with it but it was it, it was great to know that I wasn't alone in it all even though I had heard you know as my journey had started going through counseling that I was told of other situations where there was kids bullied I just never knew to the extreme that I did after you know after I'd done the chapter and I've had teachers reach out to me from primary school as well that I was in that had I had left and I just thought wow you know this is making an impact and I've been doing talks in schools because of it and it's it's phenomenal I just can't get over it like and at this stage, I just want to raise the awareness by telling my story and hope that any kid, parent or teacher or even someone that is in the workplace, you know, bullying doesn't happen just to kids or teens. It happens continuously throughout life. You can get someone that's a right bastard in the workplace and they're just there to pick on you or even in relationships. You know, you could have a partner, uh, a girlfriend or a husband or whatever the case may be you know, constantly bicking at you and, and, and getting on your nerves and making you in a hostile environment that, you know, my message to them is 
go get help. It might seem impossible, but go get help. Talk to someone, talk to a friend, talk to a medical health professional. Talk to someone that you know that can help, you know, reach out to these services. I'm not aware of any like services that you can pick up the phone to in the States, but, you know, Google them. In, that's that's in, that's local and go and find someone that can, you can get help. And that's your journey of getting away from that situation. It might seem easier said than done, but you got to start somewhere. You took my next question right out of my mouth with the last part there. I was going to ask you because we're not doing some cool, trendy TikTok dance. So I'm assuming we're not reaching that many young people, but... <laughs> I mean, we could be, but I'm assuming we're not. Uh, but we're probably reaching their parents and people in their lives and on the older side of things. So we've got to make sure we're paying attention to our young people. This is it. Like, you know, like if you notice your kid is slightly acting differently and because of social media in this day and age, kids are always acting differently on a daily basis. And that's that. you're a dad yourself, uh, as far as I know, Jim. Yep, so. Yep. Yeah, so like you would know if something's off in your kids straight away and use that intuition. If they say, oh, no, everything's fine, you know, you can't pressure them. But, you know, just kind of keep that vigilant eye on them that, you know, where if they're not ready to speak is one thing. But, you know, at least if you're in their corner and can say something to them that might egg them on, then, you know, of course, do that. That is parenthood. I'm not a parent myself, but that's just the way that I've experienced it. So. Uh, are, you know, I've come to learn things about parents and how they deal with situations and, and teachers also. But it's just, I can't stress it enough that, you know, people will talk when they're ready, but sometimes it might be too late. So, like, that vigilant eye can help. And, you know, parents aren't to blame, or it's the people that they're hanging around the groups. And as I was saying earlier, social media is a great, great thing, but it can also be a curse of a thing as well. It can be an absolute fucker. Like TikTok dances, people are so judgmental on trends and this and that. Like if you don't do a trend properly, you're now picked on because you didn't get it right. Like we're living in this stupid world and what people might think. Now, I'm all for TikTok. It's for expressing people, you know, it's for getting people out of their shells. It's a great vessel. But the comments that can fall after are bad. And there should be a thing in schools to deal with that negativity you know schools need to adapt to the way that things are now some schools are still living in the 20th century this is now the 21st century <laughs> things change on a feckin' monthly basis a weekly basis even and you know this is what happens I mean you're left idle and alone kids are going to read into these comments a lot more there's two great songs out there um, for people to listen to is one is too young to die by Nathan Grisdale and that song is based on online bullying and it's about briefly I'll give a quick gist Jim if you don't mind Go ahead. that it, it's about this girl in particular and you know she would do makeup stuff on YouTube so this was before TikTok and as Facebook was becoming the thing and all this kind of crack she would do stuff on YouTube and you know make makeup uh, the, the thing that she loved to do and people criticized her for it when they saw her videos. So one day, long story short, she made a statement. And that statement was, is this is how I look on the video without makeup. This is how I look with makeup. I do it because I enjoy it. She was a, a, a good looking girl in her own right. You know, she was she seemed a very nice person from the story that I've read. I've never met this person now myself personally. Um, and sadly, I won't because the girl decided to take her own life. Uh, she hung herself in her bedroom because of what people were saying. And this is because of comments, nasty comments, online bullying. And it's such a heart-hitting song. The numbers go up and up and it doesn't stop. The other song is called Defined. And this is aimed at people in the LGBT community. It's also aimed at people that are shy like myself would have been uh, as a young kid and all this kind of stuff. And no one should define anyone just because they like comic books or like knitting or whatever they're into just because they don't play sports doesn't necessarily mean that they're not going to excel in life you know everyone has their own interests and they shouldn't be defined on what they're doing or branded and how they're doing and that song is um defined by ronan park they're all available on youtube to go and find and they're on spotify and all these streaming platforms but they're songs that like when you listen to them they hit home and whether you know the story or not it's irrelevant it's just like the lyrics they're just fantastic songs and 
sadly they've come on the back burner of bad experiences but you know I'm this is what I'm trying to do every bit of awareness with bullying that I can get out there whether it's true song true text through someone reading it in the paper bullying happens all around us and it can affect our mental health it causes anxiety it did for me it causes depression it did for me it caused a bit of I put on, I was 16 stone at 16, so I put on massive amounts of weight because I was left idle at home and it wasn't good for me. So it can help, it can affect you in loads of avenues and no matter who you are or what you are, you know, you should be able to do what you want in life and, and express yourself in any way you want. Once you're not bothering anybody, you know, once you're not being a prick to others, then no one should be be a prick to you is my message. That's a strong message. Oh, so before I forget, Chris, where can people find you in the book? Give me that hard promo because I look at my clock over there and we're almost out of time and I've got a bunch more other random stuff I want to talk to you about. Sure, sure. <laughs> oh, okay, so the social, me- the social media handles, you can get me fairly easy. I'm like a good working girl. I'm easy to find. You can get me on Facebook. Uh, simply by searching Chris Sherlock on the wireless it's my radio show page I'm on Instagram I have one account for that it's just Chris Sherlock 2012 and on Twitter I'm Chris underscore Sherlock that's the social media handles the radio station I work for you can listen to me live if you wish Uh, I do 4pm I do an Irish show where I I basically spin unsigned and signed Irish music now it's it's not all diddly eye music that you think Irish people listen to but these are Irish bands that put in the graft and you know great songwriters great bands great musicians as well and I showcase their talent on my show and I do interviews with that called the CSI session which is basically a long in depth interview with with my guests and you can be a comedian, you can be an author, you can be anyone that comes on the show and we we chat to them. And that can all be found on my Mixcloud page. So mixcloud.com forward slash The Midweek Show. Just search Chris Sherlock on Google at this point and you'll find me. <laughs> I, I, I'm there everywhere like a bad, bad rash that you just can't get rid of. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I tried searching you on Google and I, I on, on Skype and I said hello to some other random Chris's. So just be careful, though. Uh, well, yeah, the, the, there's no point searching me on Skype because I only do the Skype for for. Media I know, but like it, was just, it was just funny. <laughs> so, oh yeah, God knows where you'd find it's a popular name. Um, so unsigned and and music. How did you get? How did you get to there? I mean, that kind of seemed. Was this music always been a passion for you? Oh God, yeah, like music in my family has been a massive thing all all through my life like I'd grow up listening to 60s 70s music 80s music and then the the brother would listen to kind of 80s 90s and the noughties so I was influenced by many a genre and I just I just I just loved it like you know I'd, like I'd, people would laugh at me even my friends that I was good friends with I'd, I'd they'd come in and there'd be 80s music on and they'd be all into rap and hip hop and chart stuff and I'm there listening to Cindy Lauper. Uh, you know, girls just want to have fun. But they are tunes. You know, these are the tunes that I love. And I grew up listening to, you know, those Irish artists as well that would be here. Now, they might not necessarily be known in the States. But, you know, there's Daniel O'Donnell, Joe Dolan, um, Margo. Uh, there's all these people. And they, they're just fantastic people to listen to. Their music is great. And. I, I just I just love a good song. I'm passionate about music heavily, and I, if I, because I understand the way the music business works, a lot of people can't catch a break, and sometimes people find it hard to get radio play. So that's why my show and some of the shows in Ireland are branded all Irish, so that we would support our homegrown talent, and I would even support people from the US, okay, whenever I can, whenever I. I'd like to do as much as I can my producers do be killing me I have only an hour show I try to get in as much as I can and they said that Chris you do realise you have to present the show not just play songs so I, I get my ear quite a bit now quite, I, I just love it I just listen to music whenever I can well I mean music's a powerful tool too I mean you were mentioning those songs earlier and then it's not only powerful for the person performing it but the person who I don't want to say listens to it. I, there's got to be a more powerful word than that. Absorbs it, I think, is what I'm going to go with. 
Oh yeah, like every song has a message, and you know whether they're just a fun message to ha- to have a bop. You know, you know, there's there's loads of songs out there that you can just enjoy and not worry about the story attached. But these songs have deep meaning, and everyone can take the meaning, and it's a therapeutic thing. It's um, it's a thing just to chill out. You know, songs don't necessarily have to have lyrics. You know, you can chill out in the bath, like candles. You know, you can do all this thing just to wind down after a busy day at work. It's such a great, great tool, and it got it got me through a lot of dark times. As well as, as watching TV and listening to the radio, listening to stories and stuff was kind of my big influence, which is why I'm kind of following that path. I, you know, I, I absorbed all this and I'm following it myself. I can't play um, an instrument to save my life. And Jesus, I can't sing by <laughs> Christ. But like I, I can croak and roar back at somebody. And but like I... I I, I couldn't hold a tune, but I'm damn glad that I know a lot of talented people that can do so, and I, I just admire loads of people, you know, that that do it. So I just, yeah, I just can't love it more to tell you the truth. So besides the typical area Irish stereotypes that I may have of you all gathering in the pub at five o'clock for a, a pint, what what? <laughs> What other things should Americans know about Ireland? <laughs> a lot of that is true. Uh, we, we, the pubs open up over here from ten thirty in the morning, and you you could have people having a pint by midday. It's that crazy. But um, to to know about Ireland, oh God, there's a lot I could tell you, Jim. To be honest, um, can your show be longer? Um, <laughs> Uh, there's loads we've got great music we've got great personalities here we've got a lot of talent here you know not just singers songwriters but we have loads of comedians we have loads of actresses actors there's loads of plays on I'm sure you've heard of the river dance that's a spectacular show in the entertainment industry you know to go and see there's a band that's touring the states over there at the minute called Celtic Thunder if anyone knows of this band or don't know this band just Google them. Look at their videos on YouTube. They've got Irish songs and they're touring America. A lot of Irish bands and singer-songwriters and stuff tour. Comedians tour America. Um, we've got all that going for us, but we've got great scenery as well. And I know Rebecca Hauser can um, back me up on this. We've done a lot of day tours around Galway and we went to see things and we've had an absolute blast. You know, you can go to lovely restaurants, beaches, uh, you know, you can if you're into that kind of uh, vibe, you know, seeing scene, taking scenery pictures. It's 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 bursting with stuff. Not just Galway, Dublin is good as well. There's a lot of like museums there. <clears throat> Excuse me, we don't all go around looking like leprechauns, and we don't sound like leprechauns. Um, I'm going to burst that mate right now. <laughs> and for anyone that refers to St Patrick's Day as Patty's Day, it's totally wrong. <laughs> and you will offend Irish people. It's St. Patrick's Day or Paddy's Day. Paddy's P-A-D-D-Y-S. And um But yeah, um any other questions, Jim? Just fire them at me. Do a quick fire if you want to know more. <laughs> no, uh, that's what I was kinda hoping to get out of you, some of that fun, insightful stuff, because I'm looking at my clock and we're all we're we're almost up against it. I'm sure you can appreciate that. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think I'm glad that you were on. I'm glad we finally got this nailed down, first and foremost. It's been a, a trouble because of the pond between us. Did I say that yes. right? Yes. No? Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's quite a big pond. It's, it's a big transatlantic ocean, but it, 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 it is, yeah. The time difference is actually, uh, it's a pain, but, you know, it, we, we, we made it work, thankfully. So, yes. look, th- well things it. work. Uh, one more question. What, when ta- what time is the show your time? And then I'll, I'll figure that out for people. Okay, so my show is normally 4pm in the afternoons, so that would be roughly, I believe, 10am, 10 or 11am your time. Yeah, which is Eastern time for those people who are trying to figure out what my time is now. (laughs) (laughs) It's getting right confused and awful quick. (laughs) I I, I have on the campaign of one world time, but you know, I don't have that kind of swing. (laughs) I know, yeah, it would be ideal, but there's a lot... I'm sure scientists and, and all these kind of people would be on uproar if we tried to even yeah. think of changing it. Uh, Chris, uh, have a good have a good night, and I'll, I'll catch up with you again at some point. Lovely, Jim. Listen, thanks for having me on, and I appreciate your time and all that, and I wish you the best of luck with the with your show and so forth. Uh, same uh, to you. Uh, best of luck with all your stuff and, and continued success. 
Thanks, Jim. Pleasure to join you. Take it easy. Yeah. Hey, I want to thank you for joining us. It's been a good show tonight. I hope you enjoyed it. Take a few moments, subscribe, share, all the fun stuff. You know how to do it. I don't have to tell you. Just uh, be ready for next week. It'll be sooner than you think. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Califato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes.